I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. Our guest today is the president of two of the most powerful professional franchises in the Northwest, the Seattle Seahawks and the Portland Trailblazers. Chris McGowan is a graduate of the University of Delaware, the university that our current president, Joe Biden, attended. Chris's executive climb was not an easy one. He had an opportunity to meet Tim Lewicki, a name uh, synonymous with AEG back in its heyday. Tim was this incredible visionary. And the two of them met in Denver. And when Tim took the job at AEG, he brought Chris in as a sales person. Chris, through hard work and the ability to build relationships, demonstrated his ability to sell and to manage people. He continually moved in the organization until he was COO of AEG Sports. He was recruited to the Portland Trailblazers, owned by Microsoft founder Paul Allen, to be their president. Several years ago, he was also given the president's title of the Seattle Seahawks. Our guest today, Chris McGowan. Welcome, friends. We're fortunate today to have an executive who handles two of the biggest franchises in the Northwest, the Seattle Seahawks and the Portland Trailblazers. And we're going to look at his story and his career path, a blue hen who must be proud of the fact that uh, the president is also a blue hen graduate. So are you, uh, did you grow up in the state? I didn't grow up in Delaware, uh, but I grew up about two hours from there in Pennsylvania, close enough. So the interesting story is when you were in college at Delaware, what did you study? Were you thinking sports is a, a potential next step career for you? No, I mean, I, I determined my senior year that the professional sports on the business side was something that I wanted to pursue. Uh, but while I was in college, I actually pursued a bunch of different interests. Um, and ended up getting a, a degree in international relations. Uh, but I started I um, started at Delaware in their hotel restaurant institutional management hospitality program because I was really interested in the restaurant business. Um, and I considered going into criminal justice, uh, but I ended up settling on international relations. And I guess my senior year, I kind of figured out that I wanted to try to go work in professional sports. So how did that happen? I mean, from the time you graduated until you joined AEG, there seemed like there was some blank uh, time in there. Yeah, I graduated in 96, and that's when I started um, my career in uh, Los Angeles with the LA Kings. So I, 
I got uh, hired really quickly right out of college. Uh, well, fortunately, my my dad was in the military and he retired and his second career was in Denver, Colorado. So I was in Denver at a Denver Nuggets game um, over the uh, Thanksgiving break, the year I graduated, essentially. And I, I met Tim Lywicki uh, randomly at a different Nuggets CEO game. at AEG at the time. No, he, he had been at the Nuggets, but then I think he was at the U.S. Ski okay. Federation or something along those lines. And um, I told him I was interested. I took advantage of told him I was interested in getting into sports when I graduated. And I can't remember exactly how the timing worked, but he then got the job in L.A. as the president of the L.A. Kings right when I was getting close to graduating. So I stayed in touch with him. And as he was building, rebuilding that organization, he was hiring a bunch of new salespeople and he offered me the chance to interview uh, for the LA Kings. And I drove from Denver to Los Angeles. I interviewed, fortunately got the job, started quickly thereafter as an account executive in the sales department for the Kings. So you worked your way up because when you and I met uh, with regarding the trailblazers, talk about how you progress through sales because that's a route some people think you know, is the right way to go in terms of being president of a club. Some now, because of digital marketing have come up or finance come up different avenues, you came up the sales route. Yeah, and I, I think there's several paths you can take if you want to kind of rise up through a sports organization. Um, for me, I think there's a couple things I would say about it. I got into sales. Uh, I had a general interest in it. I thought I, it was something I could be good at. Um, and fortunately was, and the, what I didn't know is that the culture at AEG was very sales focused and people who performed and did well in sales usually got opportunity because from the top down, Tim being such a sales focused person gravitated towards giving opportunity to people who were able to produce in various sales related jobs. So I got into sales and I actually liked it a lot. Um, and was successful at it. And as I got a little bit better at sales, I decided to try to transition into management of salespeople. And fortunately, some opportunities presented itself pretty early on in my career, maybe two, three years in, and I started managing um, sales groups. So that's kind of how it all started for me. I started as a salesperson, uh, fortunately had some success in it, and then got an opportunity to manage people, which is something that I really love to this day. I love managing people. And from there, it just kind of took off. You just started managing more and more people, taking on more departments, getting involved in more projects because the company was growing so fast as well. Um, so I transitioned from sales to management. And that's what kind of opened the most doors for me. When you left AEG, what was your role? My role was COO of AEG Sports. I was involved in all of AEG sports teams at the time, but my focus was running the business operations for the LA Kings and the LA Galaxy. So I spent the vast majority of my time on those two teams. And uh, in 2012, obviously the opportunity to run the Trailblazers presented itself. So when you're thinking about sales, if you had to give people advice, what is it about that you think you were good at in terms of hitting the ground and, and having success? Yeah, it's a pretty simple sale. I still think to this day sales is simple. So you have to like dive into it and 
understand that you're going to have to put a lot of energy into having conversations with people. This is a real people aspect to developing relationships and selling that you have to just understand that you're going to have to invest in that. But the other thing, it's an activity game. So typically the people who put the most activity into sales are going to be the top salespeople. Um, so my advice is always just make sure you're really active. You're meeting the most people, you're making the most phone calls, you're making the most emails, you're, you're utilizing games when we have fans in the building as an opportunity to meet people. People that really dive in that way are usually going to be the ones that uh, are the top salespeople. When you're talking about sales, are we talking about ticket sales? We're talking about suite sales? We're talking about sponsorship sales? How broad are we defining sales? I think in general, you're, no matter what your role is in professional sports, there's a sales aspect to it. Like I'm the president now, and a, a lot of what I do is selling, selling internally, selling concepts to the organization. So I think for the most part, every job has a small aspect of sales in it. That's why I think it's a good starting place, because whether or not you stay in it for a career, the things you're going to learn in a, in, in a couple of years of selling are going to be helpful for you in any role that you take on in our industry. Um, but, you know, typically now, you know, the, the sales jobs that people focus on are, are what you said, it's sponsorships and it's all various types of, of ticketing. So suites, group sales, all of that type of stuff are still, you know, big opportunities in our organization. We, you know, a large percentage of the people that we have in our organization fall into some sort of sales role. When you went into the Trailblazers, what did you inherit? I inherited uh, an organization that was uh, super passionate about the Trailblazers. Um, I would describe it as very marketing and branding focused. And I would describe it as uh, only focused on the Trailblazers, which are not bad things. It's just uh, not the direction that I wanted to take the organization. Um, I definitely wanted to take the organization more into a sales and service model focused on revenue, selling tickets, taking care of customers, all of those types of things, which I didn't think the organization was as focused on. Um, and the other thing is we, we operate uh, an arena. So I really wanted to revamp um, how we described ourselves as not only a basketball team. We're also running the busiest arena in the Pacific Northwest. So we've rebuilt our organization that focuses on making sure we're really competitive in the concert world and bringing all types of non-Blazers events. So we view ourselves as not just the Blazers anymore. We're the Blazers and Moda Center. And that's a very different organization than what I inherited in 2012. So eventually, uh, the president of the Seahawks left and you were given the opportunity to take on both roles. So what's that been like? It's been really interesting. The leagues are similar in a lot of ways, but they're also different in a lot of ways. And my role is very different with the two teams as well. So I would describe myself as way more involved in the day-to-day -day of the Blazers um, because I've you know, been part of them since 2012. I live in Portland. Um, and Chuck Arnold, who's the president in the Seahawks, you know, obviously does a, an incredible job running the day-to-day -day business operations of the team. And my job is to help Chuck. You know, I'm a resource to Chuck, uh, managing Chuck, and then um, helping him make major decisions and then trying to figure out interesting ways where the organizations can work together. 
is a big part of what I spend my time on, collaboration amongst the two big teams in the Pacific Northwest. In addition, we own 25% of the Sounders. So I spend a lot of time working with the Sounders, major tenant in our uh, stadium. So I not only the Seahawks, I do work with quite a bit on the Sounders as well. What are some of the major initiatives that you think you've been part of since you've taken on the combined role? We talk about things like joint sponsorships. We talk about things like um, we uh, unite, unified all of our hospitality operations. So both facilities are Levy facilities now. We try to centralize contracts when it makes sense. And, you know, if we're producing an app at the Blazers with a company, we try to bring in, do the Seahawks need that same type of technology and we can get some economies by doing multiple team type things. We share a lot of information around people and uh, human resources. So uh, maybe people are not growing at the Seahawks and a good opportunity presents itself, the trailblazers and, you know, are there ways to provide growth where people move between the teams? I'm trying to think we, a lot of things like that um, that are, you know, relatively simple, but takes, you know, vision and people that are, you know, trying to take advantage of those opportunities. You had an opportunity uh, to work with an iconic owner who has since passed away in Paul Allen. Talk a little bit about what that experience was like. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, obviously, an amazing uh, person who did a lot of things in his career that are really interesting and then did a lot of, you know, had a lot of interest above and beyond sports and business that were really interested in terms of travel and, you know, those types of things. I think what was so special about getting the opportunity to work with Paul was he was at every game um, because he just loved the Trailblazers. He loved the Seahawks. And I got to sit with him at every game. So you think about that, you know, you have 45 or so games a year where I'm spending three hours with the owner watching a basketball game courtside. Um, so it was a really a great way to get to know him. And it was a really great way to learn and catch up, you know, like, I talk to people that may talk to their owners once every couple months. And here I am talking to them multiple times a, a week about, you know, ideas that he has or things that he wants us to focus on or getting his perspective on things. So um, it's something that, you know, I, I knew was really interesting and unique and special when it was happening. But now looking back on it, I'm like, man, that's something that may never be recreated in someone's career to have the access and opportunity to interact with someone who's been through as much as Paul went through, you know, when he was with us. Talk about a couple of big ideas or big learning points that he helped you with, how he got you to think differently on issues, how he impacted you. You know, you learn something from people that are important in your career along the way. And I've had, fortunately, a lot of really influential people that for whatever reason, has spent time with me and I've been able to learn a lot from. And, you know, like, for example, with Tim, it was always like the power of relationships and, you know, ability to generate revenue and really big and uh, bold and, and pushing yourself. Uh, with Paul, um, it was what I really loved about uh, my interaction with Paul was he would always force you to think about what fans are thinking or what fans' experiences are. And 
was really, uh, he really wanted, and CenturyLink or Lumen Field, he really wants the experience for fans to be unbelievable. Um, so we spent a lot of our time talking about how can we make this, how can we make Moda Center louder? How can we make it more energetic, entertaining? What, you know, what can we do to improve food and everything? He just was so much about like focusing on the fan, which I always appreciated. One game we were sitting there and he goes, I mean, it would be crazy. Like he, some of my memories, he would say, have an idea for a t-shirt. I think the fans would like it. He grabs a piece of paper and he, he actually at the game drew uh, the idea for the t-shirt to give to me. And then I took it and put it in my pocket. The media, which would watch us all the time at the games, thought he was drawing up a play and he was drawing an idea for a t-shirt. So it was, it was a level all the way down to a t-shirt to another time he, he thought our building needed areas for kids to have better experiences. So he, he said, I want a kid zone. Like you got to figure out an area for kids to learn about basketball and learn about different things. So we put a plan together to build a kid zone on our upper level. So it was a lot of that type of stuff that I really appreciated um, as it relates to Paul. When you think about the environment we're in now with the COVID, how have you coped with that as you've looked at revenue? How do you project going forward on what the new normal may be? And it's interesting having the vantage point of multiple leagues um, because it's a, the answer to the question is a little bit different for every league. It's obviously been uh, a massive challenge weathering it for the last year now, uh, financially, obviously, but also um, managing the morale of a staff who's going through all of these challenges as well. It's, it's really been uh, a real test for all leaders in our industry and all leaders in our organization. Um, so we spend a lot of time and energy on that. You know, I, I could be wrong on this, but I feel like there is light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, this pandemic's going to be put behind us at some point. And I hesitate to say new normal. I know there's going to be some changes and some differences be, be behind how spectator sports and live events happen, but I do believe we're going to bounce back super strongly because people just have a desire to, to, to gather and go to concerts and go to sporting events. It's a very much a big part of our culture. And I think it's going to be that way once we get past this. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I, I don't buy into that. You know, it's, it's going to take many, many years to get back to what it was prior to the pandemic. I think we're going to rebound uh, strongly as an industry because people just want to gather and they want to go see live, live, live experiences. What were the differences or are the differences between how the NFL has handled it on the player side and how the NBA is handling it on the player side as it relates to COVID restrictions? It's like kind of apples to oranges to some degree because the NFL, uh, we were just at different junctures of our season. So the NFL, it was all about um, how do you get a season done in venue and there's protocols around that. And for the NBA, we had the bubble. So the bubble is super, we're, we're where the NFL was. We're now trying to figure out how to safely do games in our venue and travel and stay in hotels and all of that type of stuff. Um, so the bubble was a totally different concept and no teams other than the MLS with their uh, tournament at the start of the season did the bubble. 
And the bubble worked out obviously amazing, but it's probably not something that's sustainable to do a bubble over like a six or eight month period. But I just really appreciate how responsive both of the leagues were to put organizations in a position to have games in whatever scenario those games were. The NBA did an amazing quick job reacting and getting us all to the bubble, which saved a lot of uh, heartache for us. Like we, we were able to provide games for our TV partners. We were able to get the season done with. Um, so they did an amazing job kind of both leagues have done an amazing job responding, uh, but there it's the same. I mean, we're testing, we're making sure we're using our organizations as platforms to promote <laughs> washing hands and vaccines and, you know, all the things that we think will help curb COVID. So I think there's a lot more similarities actually. In terms of individually uh, testing, you, the difference between the business side and the basketball side or the football side, how different are the, the requirements? It, it's basically levels. There's, you know, call it tier one, tier two, tier three. And the testing requirements, depending on the level you're in, are different. If you're traveling with the team, part of that group that's at the practice facility and on the planes and in hotels, you're testing regularly, daily. For me, um, I'm in a testing protocol for the ability to go work games. Um, and that testing protocol is, um, you know, a couple tests per game, essentially. So maybe three or four times a week for testing. So it's anywhere from that, no testing, if you're, you're not really close to the team or going to the arena, to if you're going to the arena for games, you're in a testing protocol. And if you're traveling with the team, you're in a real, you know, testing daily. In relationship to your employees, how much are you doing on site and how much is being done remote right now? 95% remote. Uh, we are not back in the office and we probably won't be back in the office until early summer. And that's the same in Seattle. People have the ability to go to the office, engineers, payroll, you know, folks that have to, you know, have to do things there that can't do it remote, but it's, it's a very small percentage um, and that's just kind of the way the market is. And um, our government is asking us to continue to be remote um, if we can be until we get the, the pandemic under wraps. So have you been able to handle the revenue deficit both on the football side and the basketball side? Well, you, to some degree, you can't. I mean, it's, uh, it's a short-term hit. Fortunately, big leagues have access to, to capital to weather these types of challenges. and you know, that's benefit of being in a super healthy league. You know, I, we're hoping it rebounds and we come back and we're able to host people in our arena and we hope that it picks up fairly quickly. But for us, it's been about uh, preserving as much sponsorship as we can and preserving as much ticket sales revenue as we can, meaning we want people uh, to keep their money with us and they can use it when we resume play. But we've been very flexible in terms of people need their money back. We've been refunding it because obviously people are dealing with a pandemic. Uh, we've done a really good job of preserving a vast majority of our sponsorship. The NBA in particular has done a really good job providing interesting new uh, programs to the leagues to sell to sponsors who are um, we're not delivering because we're not having fans in the building. So 
provided new signage positions, new jersey patch positions, some digital signage opportunities during games, which have been great. Um, so it's been a combination of that. Uh, fortunately, we have good relationships with our major stakeholders and people are sticking with us until we can weather this. So when you think about your leadership style and the way you enjoy mentoring people and working with people, what would be the two or three uh, adjectives or words that you would use to describe? Consistency. Consistent with my emotions, I think is really important. So I try to show up uh, to work pretty even keeled. I don't, I don't get too high and too low. I think that's really important when you're leading organizations. Um, I would say uh, ambitious. I, I like to push. This is probably the Tim in me. I like, I like to push and try to accomplish records and be ambitious as it relates to the things that we can track ourselves on the business side, kind of our wins and losses, not on the court. Um, and I'd say involved, like I, I um, relationship wise, spend a lot of time with people that report to me in one-on-ones and having meetings and trying to help give advice and, you know, that type of stuff, I would say are three things that are how I describe my style. So often people that are on the business side, try to dip their toe into the the sports side. How have you been able to keep the the screen up or build the relationships that have allowed you to you know, to maintain credibility uh, with your general managers? Don't have a ton of interest in like the technical side of sports and the, of the sports world. So I love the business side. And that's where I add value. And I like being involved in things that I feel like I have studied and know a lot about. And for me to all of a sudden start diving into an area that people spend their lives and countless hours developing the knowledge and experience to make good decisions on who a good point guard is or what a good power forward is seems crazy because I just haven't put the time into that. So I just, it's just not an area where I can add tons and tons of value. I'm just, I watch games. I'm a fan, but I'm not an expert. I'm not scouting. I'm not on the road. I'm not going to college games. So it'd be asinine for me to think I could add a lot of value in that space. So I believe the best organizations have people running the business side running the team side and those two people collaborate like crazy when you need to, but I'm not, you know, going to go make, you know, power forward decisions. People talk about that. You've built an incredible culture with the trailblazers. Why don't we finalize our discussions with how you've built this culture that people really enjoy being a part of? It's kind of the hardest thing to do, and it takes a long time to get it to a point that you're satisfied with. And for us, I think our culture is built around transparency. I think that is probably the biggest uh, thing that you need to do as a senior leader in an organization. You need to be transparent with all the people that are working throughout the organization. And I think we've done a really good job of that. Um, I think we do a really good job of, of hiring people that I think culturally will fit into what we're trying to do. I want good people here. We, we don't want tough people to deal with. And we, we do a good job of rooting those types of people 
you know, out of our environment. Cause I think they're, you know, negativity creates a lot of negativity. And when you have negative people around, that's going to affect your culture a lot. So I think you have to be really good at hiring the types of people that you think will do well in the culture that you've built. And, you know, we, I think we do a good job of setting goals. So people kind of know what success looks like. I talked about it a little bit earlier about being a sales and service organization and producing numbers. When you lay that out and people start accomplishing things, it's pretty fun culture to be a part of. And we, I think we do a pretty good job of that. Why well, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and visiting with us today. So I uh, wish you continued success and hopefully we can get back to the new normal and having fans and being able to entertain people and allow you to have the type of fan experience that you so much uh, desire. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for, for having me. I, our, we had a good quote yesterday from Damian Lillard and we had a good game yesterday and he still was like, man, I just can't wait till fans can see this. I want to play in front of fans. And I read that and it kind of resonated with me. We, we definitely want our fans back in our building and it's safe to do so. Well, again, thank you uh, for being our guest today. And uh, look forward to staying in touch and wishing you continued uh, good luck.